Hello, everyone. We are so excited to announce this year's Principles to Practice Summit on Montessori and Ecological Consciousness. Join us for this transformative summit, which brings together experts, scientists, activists, and educators to explore how Montessori education can nurture environmental stewardship in our students and cultivate a generation of sustainability leaders. Our lineup of speakers, including our keynote speaker, Robin Wall Kimmerer, will present practical strategies for seamlessly integrating Montessori principles with sustainable practices, empowering educators to foster environmentally aware and socially responsible learners. The summit will run June 17th through 19th, but tickets are available now. Head over to courses.trilliummontessori.org for more information. I'm Simi Abdullah, and I'd like to welcome you to Trillium Montessori Talks, the podcast where we dig into the theory and application of Montessori methodology in the classroom and beyond. This podcast is produced in cooperation with Letty Rising and other Trillium course creators. Our goal is to provide you with a weekly dose of tips, tools, and inspiration so you can optimize the classroom experience for your students and yourself. Ready? Let's talk Montessori. Welcome to Montessori Talks, where we talk about all things related to the Montessori elementary environment and also other things related to Montessori in general. And today I have a guest on the podcast, and her name is Christine Sidichai, and she works at Springs Charter School in the Montessori Voyage Program. She has been teaching for 20 years, we just calculated today. And she has done most of her teaching with the kindergarten age or TK in a public Montessori setting. But she also has taught some lower elementary as well. So um, she has a broad uh, amount of experience. And I'm going to ask her some great questions about her experience, her life, and also what are some things that she thinks are great for kids to know before they go into first grade and they go into that uh, that elementary year. So welcome, Christine. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Letty. You're welcome. So my first question is, so you told me that you were a Montessori child. And so you went to Montessori school in your preschool years. And so tell me about like, what you remember about that experience and maybe how that influenced you to become a Montessori teacher yourself one day. Sure. Yeah. So I attended a Montessori school um, in my preschool primary years. And so I entered there at the three and a half year old age. And from what I remember most is just that very home-like type of setting where the teachers, the administration just really personalized, I feel like my my education early on. To this day, I still have friends from that Montessori school. I've moved back actually to the same city where I grew up. And so when I moved back to my city, my youngest child actually started going to their school as well. So it's still there. It's still running. It's the same family. And it's just one of those experiences that I never forgot. And I think it was for a variety of reasons that many people truly fall in love and and choose Montessori for their child's education, namely that 
you know, everything was so hands-on. And so when I look back at pictures in my album, I start to have these flashbacks of, oh my gosh, I remember that buckle frame, or I remember those insets. I remember so much of it. It was really ingrained in my memory, so many of those experiences that I had. One of the things that I just love about that school is that it really followed the, you know, the Montessori philosophy of everyone following, you know, their own pace. They really uh, followed the child. And even as an adult, when my son went there, they still continued that mission and that philosophy. I still saw it being carried through, even though it's been decades that I was there. So it's been great to see something just really stick to what its, you know, main philosophy was. That really reminds me of, um, you know, I've worked with teachers and groups of teachers and I've asked, you know, what do you remember from your elementary years? And, you know, they're always saying something like, oh, when I made a, when we prepared a big meal for the parents at this event or on, we went on this field trip or I did this project or this certain material if they were in a Montessori environment. And nobody says, oh, I remember that lecture that, that my teacher gave me or that, exactly. or that worksheet that I filled out. So yes, it's, it's yes. fun to hear that, you know, you remember those hands-on experiences that you had when you were in the primary classroom and that, you know, as you were taking your own training, then you were sort of having some visions of remembering doing those things when you were that age. Definitely. Yeah, Definitely. That's fun. I guess to add to that, did any of that sort of inspire you to become a Montessori teacher? Or did you just be like, well, I mean, this is what I know. I might as well try it or... Yes. So I actually was not, this was not my undergraduate degree to become a teacher. When I went, when I was in college, I was a business degree major. I was in finance and that was kind of, you know, the road I was taking upon graduation. I, you know, I had done an internship now for like a, it was during the whole like tech boom and all of that. And I was working up in the Silicon Valley and I was working in my office and I thought, oh my gosh, I, this is not for me. And I don't think I can do this for the rest of my life. It just didn't seem like something that I wanted to make my career about. So I really kind of sat down, thought about what I wanted to do. And there was a school, you know, not too far from where my apartment was. And I, for some reason, I don't know what urged me to do it, but I I went to go visit that school. And I thought, you know, I have some time on, you know, these days to go in and just kind of volunteer. So I volunteered for, I think it was about like a semester and I volunteered once a week. And I thought, this is kind of my calling. I feel like this is something I can do as my career. And so I I knew I wanted to then ch- um, change paths and, and become a teacher, but then it became more so what type of teacher do I want to become? Because the more that I looked into it, there were so many different things you can do with teaching. And immediately I said, I want to become a Montessori teacher because I think my experience from when I was in a Montessori school stuck with me so much that it was appealing. And so I looked into it. I did my research and that's when I fell in, you know, to the AMI training in San Diego. It just kind of worked perfectly to go there. And again, it was as soon as I, you know, took that first, not, I forget what it was called, but session or whatnot, I knew that again, that that was the type of teacher and, and kind of schooling that I wanted to do, the type of training I wanted to do for teaching. 
Oh, that's so wonderful. I love hearing these stories of, you know, people who are excited about it. And here you have been doing it for 20 years. So it's amazing. (laughs) I happen to know you a little bit outside of this podcast. So I have more background knowledge than I might with some other people. But I happen to know that you for many years were working in a brick and mortar classroom in a very innovative charter school, Springs Charter School. And they and this particular program, the children attend school three days and they homeschool two days. And it's funny because hybrid is becoming very popular, but um, this has been, this is one of the original hybrid programs. And yes. we were doing that for many years. And then um, at some point uh, you decided, since there was a new program starting for that was a homeschool Montessori with a virtual component, which started during the pandemic and is still thriving to this day, you decided to transition over into that kind of a setting. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about what was it like to go from sort of a brick and mortar setting, even though it was three days a week and you still had a homeschool component to a full-on virtual slash homeschool facilitator for parents in this public charter school. Sure. So when I was teaching in that brick and mortar type of setting with my students, it was, you know, it was a Montessori philosophy and a Montessori method and all of that, but it was that brick and mortar experience for children and families where I was the designated teacher. The children came in at 8.30, they left at three, you know, we had that routine and schedule and the parents, although there was a homeschool aspect to it on the days that I was with them in the classroom, that was my sole focus and responsibility is to be with the children. And so you had that typical experience where you work with a child and, you know, you have them go through their schedule and routine and you personalize your education. But when I shifted over to distance learning at first, when the pandemic first hit, things changed quite drastically because now parents can see everything, right? So in the virtual setting, especially the grades that I taught, these children you know, at the primary grade level, they still needed assistance, um, especially early on in the pandemic. So although maybe I didn't see the adult or parent at home with them, I pretty much knew that they were side by side with their child on camera or off. So that was something to get um, used to and adjusted to. Although it didn't bother me, it was just something that I was a lot more, you know, aware of. And so that was a change that was also very different. Also, the virtual setting versus in person is that these children are sitting in front of the computer the entire time. And so you're constantly trying to think and plan and find ways to engage these students so that they are maximizing their learning, but also remembering that developmentally what is appropriate, right? You want to make sure that they're not in front of the screen staring at it, that they're moving, that they're um, doing some type of hands-on tactile type of learning. And you're going to lose their interest if you're just talking the entire time, if you're, you know, just presenting the entire time, they need to be doing, they need to be moving just as if you were in a brick and mortar setting. So that was one of the things I had to figure out pretty early on. But luckily, during that 
really early stage of pandemic time, everyone was still trying to figure it out. And so when I shifted to my permanent position that I'm still in now, I've I've had a lot of experience, I feel like doing this virtual format. So I, I have a gist of what length of time is adequate for the children, how to kind of pace myself and read the room, I think is really important at this age or any age really to see, okay, I'm kind of losing their interest, they're getting jittery, or let's move on to this. And, you know, over the years, just kind of getting experience as to seeing what what topics are are of great, you know, interest to the children, what's relevant. And also, again, like I mentioned earlier, what kind of materials can I implement and have the children use so that it's engaging for them? Yeah, that it sounds really great. And um, I also wanted to clarify with your program that your students are all meeting with you for just about an hour a day. And so they're not on, they're not online all day long, which would be really tough for like kindergarten or TK. And as you know, you're going to be having four year olds in a couple of years, like straight early four year olds, because um, the age level is changing for where they when they can come into public school and kindergarten. So you they're on for about an hour a day and you have about, you know, a small group of 10 or so children. So you ha- you're on for three hours a day. So you have a session at nine, 10 and 11, and then they're on for an hour and then they're doing homeschool stuff in the background. And so have you found it hard to support parents from afar in that way? Or has it been easy? Has it been fun and rewarding or challenging? I think, you know, overall, it's been definitely rewarding. Homeschool was something that, um, you know, even in the brick and mortar, that was still relatively new to me because as a child, I was not homeschooled. So, you know, trying to figure out and, and learn about uh, why parents homeschool and what's required, all of that is, it was all very new to me 20 years ago. But over the years, I've seen, um, you know, the benefits and the rewards of homeschooling, both from the parent side and the student side and the teacher side. And so, you know, what I find most from these homeschooling families is that for the most part, you know, you're always going to have some outliers there, but for the most part, 80, 90% of parents, especially at this young age, you know, they are homeschooling for a reason because they want to be involved in their child's learning. And so across the board, um, that's still what I see. I see these parents, you know, really devoting a lot of their time, planning their days so that they can really benefit from this hybrid setting of getting support from me online for that hour each day, but also having the freedom to homeschool their child using curriculum that they wish or the ones that we provide, going on field trips or having real life experiences to supplement or to give that type of uh, curriculum for their child that week or that month, et cetera. So I'm seeing a lot of support from parents, a lot of questions as well, because of my grade level, a lot of them, you know, if they don't have older children, they are still learning the ropes of how should I structure my day? You know, how much time should I devote to this type of, you know, to this subject, et cetera. So definitely a lot of guidance that I try to provide and support, but also reminding them that ultimately they're the teacher and that um, they have, you know, the whole world, the world is their oyster in terms of what they want to teach their child. And so I really want to stress to them that there is no one perfect model for homeschooling. There are a variety of schedules, a variety of curriculum, and you have to find the one that best fits your family while still making sure to remember that it's also not just no schooling either. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm guessing that you probably have parents who like have not figured out this whole thing where it's like, 
well, school doesn't happen just from nine to noon or nine to three, but it can kind of happen all all day when you homeschool. It doesn't mean that you're sitting at the kitchen table. And I'm imagining you talk to them about practical life at this age and how great it is for them to do those kinds of things. And are, are you seeing um, your students becoming more independent at home and in your classroom from your guidance and support in that way? Yes, I always, you know, during parent orientation, we always um, try to remind the parents that it's not going to be a worksheet workbook type of experience that, you know, following the Montessori method is that we have practical life, we have life skills, we have sensorial, we have all of those subjects and topics, because really any experience that they have can be a learning opportunity. So, you know, with our, you know, our our guide postcards and different assignments that we have, or different um, work samples that they can provide, they can get involved in so many skills at home or outside the home that, like you mentioned before, isn't that whole nine to three model. It can be, you know, something that they do at grandma's house, or it can be a museum trip, or it can be a trip to the dentist or cooking dinner at home or a chore that is part of their daily learning. Yes. Yeah. And and also, as you mentioned that, um, I guess, so part of what they you do is that you're not a, you're not a guidepost school, but you are using some some of their curriculum for um, the at home learning experience so that the children can watch videos of um, different Montessori lessons. And, and that has been probably a really great thing for them to be able to see and learn. And, and actually, what's been really nice is this year, you you know, some of the children ha- or all of the children have some of the materials at home, so they can practice the lessons that you work on with them. Yes. Uh, just the other day, I believe it was on Tuesday, uh, some of my younger students, I think it was my TK students, we we took out the movable alphabet for the first time. And I love that's, I mean, so many, I always call many of the materials my favorite, but it's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> and it was so wonderful to see them, you know, complete the lesson with the materials in front of them. So it was neat. You know, we were building our words. We were um, actually, it was kind of my older kids, but we were, you know, we were building our our CBC words and doing all of that. And it's so different than not having a manipulative in front of them. So yeah, yes. And, And so that's been a really great thing that you've been able to um, get them because the Montessori materials are kind of expensive. So having, but having a few of them at home that they can manipulate. I know in the past you were using sort of printables and things, and sometimes you're still using some printable materials. Um, so uh, it's been definitely a great sort of a game changing experience from what I've heard. So one question I really wanted to kind of dig into here at, towards the end as we're getting here is, so you've been a TKK teacher, which I guess to translate that as primary or, you know, it would be normally three to six, but in public school in California, um, you can't have preschool with, a, with kindergarten. So it's been standalone kindergarten, but now it's TK. And so pretty soon it's going to be the full four and five-year-old at least, which is great. You've been doing that. And then you also taught lower elementary for a while when there was a need. And I wanted to ask you, thinking from your, I guess, your elementary perspective, what are the skills that you think are essential for children to have before they enter into first grade? Like what should an elementary teacher like hope for? And what do you try to provide? And were there any sort of things that you wish that were different when you were in elementary that weren't provided, I guess you could say? Sure. Um, Yes, having experience as a lower elementary teacher definitely helped me become, I feel like a 
more prepared primary teacher because I I saw, like you mentioned, some of the skills that were required or not required, but that were beneficial before they transitioned into the lower elementary years. So uh, one of the things that I saw that really was, I guess, kind of a big difference in some of the students was their ability to hold a pencil. I thought that was really key for the incoming lower elementary students. Either they, you know, may or not may or may not were in the primary classroom or just maybe weren't um, shown how to properly hold a pencil, but having that pincer grip, having the ability to just have that proper holding grip in writing is really key before they move on to the lower elementary years, because it's not just needed for writing, but it's needed for math. It's needed for language arts. It's, it's needed for so many different things, just even practical life skills. So I think that was one huge thing that I saw because, um, you know, at that primary age, their minds are like sponges, their, their hands are like starting to form. And so it's really key that I feel like that emphasis be placed on the writing skills and pre-writing skills before entering first grade. Mm. Did you find find over the years, I guess, I mean, I know you taught for several years in in lower elementary. Did you find over the years that children were coming in even like less prepared in that regard as time went on? And I always wonder if there's like a correlation between kids not always, you know, engaging in practical life at home, or maybe they're like swiping on the iPad a lot, and they're just not using their finger muscles. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I do have a lot of thought about that. And and (laughs) you brought up the whole swiping. And I think we're just in this, you know, advanced modern age of technology where um, children as young as 18 months or whatnot know how to swipe and use a phone or a tablet or a computer, but they don't have that muscular development of their fingers. And so I've seen a change over the course of the years in that. And I think that's why I place a lot of emphasis on writing and, and the pre-writing skills right now, because I know so many of them are not doing it at home or just have, a, you know, such modern devices that, you know, it's not like how it used to be when we were kids where we were always, you know, maybe weaving or maybe, you know, lacing things. Um, yeah, pull out the crayons even, and color. Yeah, exactly. Like right now, it's hard to get children to even color. You uh-huh. know, it's like in class, I mean, we, we color quite a bit and they just want to do this and we're done. And I remember, you know, coloring is, you really know, I'm obviously done. Exactly. Really spending time and enjoying it and coloring. So all the white space is gone and all of that. And now they just want to be done and move on to the next thing. And mm-hmm. everything's so quick now. And I don't know yes. if it's because of technology, but I have a feeling it has a lot to do with it. But back to, you know, the whole holding a pencil correctly and the muscular development, I think that's that's definitely being lost right now. And it's important for primary teachers um, or any teacher of this age group to really still place an emphasis on that because it's still very important despite the technology. Yeah. Have you thought though, I've been thinking a lot with, I mean, this is the year of the AI, right? Of AI, Uh so much happening. Like I've wondered, like, will there be a time when children aren't going to actually need to write because that's never happening? And, you know, there's, there's been these sort of debates about like cursive and should we teach it? Should we not teach it? But like, if you don't have cursive, at least you have print, but like, if you just stop writing, like, that's like a, that's like a skill. Like that's like not even just a a knowledge, it's Mm -hmm. a skill. And I just think that 
you know, with especially like teachers not being able to send home like take home essays in high school, maybe they're going to return to the paper and pencil in the classroom. And, you know, they have to write essays that way, because if they're on the computer, they're going to pull out, you know, some some resources that, uh, yes. that that don't involve their thinking in a way that a teacher would hope. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I do wonder, like, you know, is there going to be a time when even in kindergarten, it's like, oh, we're just going to drop writing, like, I, I don't think so, but like maybe a hundred years from now, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it could happen because I feel like as, you know, even in the lower elementary years, things are being submitted now, like you said, you know, on the computer, your essays are bringing, turning in on Word or Google Docs and whatnot. It's no longer paper and format, especially as we get into the virtual setting too. It's, you know, no one's turning in hard copies anymore. So yeah. it's definitely something that I feel could occur, but there's still definitely, you know, a lot of importance we should place on the traditional form of writing. So you have your students do a lot of writing, you know, even though they're in a virtual setting with you an hour a day, it's not like they're watching videos the whole time or just sitting in passively because this is a Montessori environment. So you're trying to implement Montessori in like sort of a virtual and homeschool setting. So you probably am imagining have them, you know, writing and using those muscles quite a bit. Yes, we do. Every day they have a dry erase board and marker that we use because that keeps them engaged. I'd like to see where they are so that we can visually see the progress. But every week we also have a writing lesson. And so even that, I always say paper and pencil, dry erase boards and markers are not allowed. They must come in with their writing paper and pencil or their journal um, because I want to see them physically using a pencil, a writing tool on a piece of paper because, um, you know, the emphasis is being placed there. And when you submit work, you submit it, you know, do you submit their hand? They take pictures of their hands-on stuff that they did, right? So they're still kind yes. of, you know, doing projects or whatnot. And then so that at least you can see they're like, their manual writing. And do you have any kids at this age who say, oh, why are we, why do I have to write this when I can just type it out? I mean, they're still young. I don't know if they would say this at this age, but I was just curious if you ever hear that. I haven't. Yeah. I think at this young age, no one has quite said that yet, but you know, I do get the comments of, can I just watch? (laughs) Can I just watch you write? And I'm like, no, we're all going to participate. And so, you know, we have that type of comments. And when, and thinking about sort of, I guess, reading as well, or like independence, like, are there certain like reading skills that you would hope that children would have before they go into first grade? Or are there some goals that you set, I guess, for yourself to with your kindergarten aged children um, and goals for independence, uh, anything like that? Yes. So in terms of reading and language arts, um, I definitely like to prepare my kindergarten students so that they are, you know, beginning to read um, before they move on to lower elementary. And when I say beginning to read, it can range from a variety of different stages. But for the most part, my goal as their, you know, teacher is for them to be able to read independently a short phonetic sentence. So for them to be able to do that, and I would say the majority of them usually get to do that before they enter the lower elementary years. Some obviously are reading chapter books already. You have that end of the spectrum. And then you have some who are still maybe uh, finishing up their letter sound knowledge. So you have that spectrum, but you have as well the core um, that I like to make sure know independently how to read um, at least, you know, two phonetic sentences, if not more, by the time they get to elementary, because we like them to be able to be a lot more independent 
by that age group. Same regards for writing, be able for them to write a sentence independently. Doesn't have to be spelled correctly. They're still learning their sight words, but be able to put their thoughts into paper into a into you know a sentence format. Mm-hmm. And thinking about like other skills, like, you know, in terms of like, I guess, taking turns or those sort of grace and courtesy kinds of things, what kinds of things do you feel like you're hoping they have socially with each other or so that they can, you know, when you came, when you were in elementary, you were like, oh, I'm so glad these kids know how to do X or, and I'm like, oh, I have to really reteach this particular skill or something in terms of like an executive functioning skill. I think at this age, at the primary age, I really try to make sure that the children understand respect. So taking turns is a big deal, especially whether it's, you know, in person or, you know, in this virtual format, the ability to take turns and understand when it's your turn to speak or what is the format for, um, you know, requesting to be called on or et cetera. Um, So those types of social skills, understanding what it means to listen to one person, you know, to understand um, what listening really means and, you know, that type of thing in a virtual format, you know, the basic skills of Zoom or, you know, Google Meets of using your microphone and turning it off, you know, those type of things are really important obviously, before you move on to the next grade level, but also grace and courtesy lessons of uh, being kind to others, again, showing respect to others, putting your things away, I think is huge in Montessori, the whole work cycle of taking out your materials, doing the work, finishing the work, putting it away is again, also very big. It's a little harder in the virtual format. I try to get as much as I can out of that. But when I was, you know, in brick and mortar, there was a huge emphasis that I placed on the entire work cycle. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing you probably talked to the parents a little bit about that too at home. Like, you know, you know, having the children pull their things out and put them away and not necessarily being the one to do that for them, which is like a, a shift for parents, right? Uh, yes, definitely. Again, going back to what would you like your students to be prepared for is, is that independence? You know, you definitely have families that want to do everything for their child, you know, oh, here's your material, here's your notebook here. And I always remember, you know, remind the child or the students that it's your responsibility to have your materials every day, you know, have your paper there, have your whiteboard there, making sure you complete your work, um, you know, every single day and that they are just as responsible, if not more so than their parent is, especially at this age. Oh, thank you so much for joining me today, Christine. Uh, this is Christine, Christine Chai from Springs Charter School in the Montessori Voyage Program. And um, it's exciting to hear um, all the cool things that you're doing with uh, combining a, uh, a having a homeschooling with a virtual component. And so the parents kind of get like the best of both worlds so they can homeschool, but they also have their kids have one class a day and they get to be with you and you get to support them and guide them. And you, you have that uh, background in teaching reading and writing. And so, um, you know, they can really get that strong foundation. So um, I do think that sort of the, the hybrid model or the micro school and all these things are kind of the wave of the future. So you're on the on the crest of that wave, so to speak, which is really exciting. Yes, it's been an exciting journey, definitely. Well, thank you for joining us and um, I'm sure I'll see you again in the not too distant future. Thanks for having me, Letty. 
Thanks for tuning in to Trillium Montessori Talks. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love the practical and actionable classroom management advice in the Montessori Principles to Practice webinar libraries. Head to trulliummontessori.org forward slash podcast for details and to learn about all the ways we can help you optimize your Montessori work. We'll be back soon with more Montessori inspiration. In the meantime, please help other Montessori guides find this podcast by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast listening platform. Thank you for being a part of the Trillium community.